Inga, where product people who are also passionate about Formula One racing. It's September 24th, and it's been another eight races since our last episode. Yeah, so the last, the first race that we need to, to cover is the French Grand Prix on June 18th. Uh, there were eight races total. There was a summer break in between. The last one was the fiery Italian Grand Prix on September 12th. Uh, so super exciting. There were so many great driving and decision-making, which made us really wonder like what it means to be a world-class driver, um, especially in Formula One, where you know, you're already at the top of motorsport. There's only 20 drivers on the grid, but then how do you become the number one driver? We then made us think, how does that translate to world-class PM? And what does it take to accelerate your product career? So that's what we'll be talking about in this episode. The, the 2021 Max versus Lewis rivalry so far, now that we're looking at eight races since we last um, met up. Yep. A lot of races so far. There was summer break in between. Lots of clashes between Max and Lewis. Yeah, so we had the, the, the French race all the way to um, the Italian Grand Prix. So if we think about how Max and Lewis so far have, if, if we were to make a, a comparison, so both have had pretty rough crashes uh, with Max during the British Grand Prix and then recently um, Lewis in the Italian Grand Prix. Yeah. But very, very different um, approaches and very different different responses, right? What did yeah. you think about that, Inga? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the the most recent race where they essentially, like, both of them needed to um, not cede any ground to the other mm-hmm. player because they've they've essentially been, you know, in terms of points, been going back and forth between who who has the most points for the championship for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this past Grand Prix, um, that all came to a head in that one accident that they had, right? And I think it's it's very interesting to see the reactions from both sides um right like obviously max said you know lewis didn't give me enough room um lewis was saying you know good thing that the halo saved my life because mm-hmm. basically the red bull tire was on top of his head yes. by, the, by yeah. the end of it um so i i thought that was really interesting because at the beginning of that race lewis was playing things a little safer in terms of like overtakes um and so yeah i think max was being the the more aggressive one in that scenario yeah yeah i mean it was this very um similar sort of uh, aggressive head-to-head even in the british brand Prix as well right like who was giving who room and so in that case with um uh, max crashing um and getting the dnf that one was, I think, you know, you, you have that and then you, you 
um, compare it to the Italian Grand Prix and how they've both reacted. And I'm curious, how would you see that from a product standpoint, Inga, in terms of, you know, where Max is obviously very, very talented driver, very much a lot of potential already. Look look at him being ahead right now um, as of the Grand Prix um, and ahead ahead in points. And then we've got Lewis, who really is the seasoned PM. And how do we think about their reactions during these type of like crisis? Yeah, I think Max is a bit of a less mature driver, right? He he has more sort of angry outbursts um, and is is frustrated. And I think Lewis tends to be more like level headed. Um, and I think the the winners ultimately are the ones who are consistent and recognize like what is what are factors outside of your control um, versus you know what 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 is in your control and then how can you react really quickly to to a changing environment? Yeah, I think there's also when see Max and Lewis trying to pay attention to each other. I mean, you're you're a driver, so you have to be aware of, of your surroundings, but it's almost like how much are they paying attention to the other drivers as opposed to their own driving? Very much akin to if, if you're so um, focused on your competition as a product manager, instead of making sure that you're, you're improving your product, I think that's when um, things start going awry, right? Just essentially trying to either um, create a copy or one-up that, that um, the competition versus really focusing on what could make your product stand apart and build the very, very best version of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a lot of it is a mental game as well. Uh, so we know that Max won the the Dutch Grand Prix. Lewis won the British Grand Prix. Um, we think there's something about home court advantage, similar to basketball games, where maybe if you know you you know you have to perform in your loudest fans, it, it it makes you feel like you you can do it. And I think somewhat similarly mm. to product, where uh, it might be easier to listen to your loudest fans, your early adopters. And say, you know, that's that that is the the sort of mainstream uh, feedback on on your product. Uh, but if you only listen to your early adopters, then you might always have a niche product. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think also if you if you think about that, right, and going back to yes, you might have this sort of the early adopters, the home court or the ho- the home track advantage. That that almost feels like um, it. It almost feels like it's not real in the sense that if you want to product, if you want mass adoption, you kind you really have to focus on your performance. You have to focus on how do you get better, so that let's say in the case of um, not being in your home track, not being at, let's say British, how Lewis thinks about that that track that he's racing at any given moment or max thinking about that and still focusing on that track and how to win there i think that's what really um i think sets them apart as well because if you think about 
again, mass adoption of your product, you have to go beyond the early adopters. Yeah. And I think that's a great segue, actually, to our next topic that we wanted to talk about, uh, which is when leaders stumble, the ones uh, who have the mental fortitude, the consistency, being unfazed by, you know, whatever else is happening, whether there are accidents, uh, leaders are faltering, whatever it is, being able to stay the course. And I think in the past few races, we've seen a bunch of surprise leaders in each of each of them that we didn't expect to see. It wasn't, you know, the, the Max Faltery Lewis combination on the yeah. podium. Yeah, the surprise podiums, I think, that we we had talked about even in an earlier episode. Um, how how Lando Norris definitely is surprising yeah, us. New favorite. Uh Daniel Ricardo, same thing. Uh of course, you know, and then George Russell, who's just really been um a joy to watch. Yeah, I think I underestimated Lando Norris at the beginning of the season. And I've been pleasantly surprised that he's taken four podiums this season so far as uh, a really young driver. And I think he's also, in many cases, just been consistent. Like, you know, there there was one race where uh, Lando was being chased by Lewis right behind him. And he he kept his cool. He kept going and, and really made Lewis... Um, put a lot of effort in order to overtake him despite being in a lesser car. Uh, And so I think that's, that's super admirable in in my book. So, I mean, if we think about Lando, who's like this, this surprise podium um, winner, and we think about what are the winning qualities of a PM? So, you know, you talked about mental fortitude and staying the course. Certainly that's, that's something that we all try to keep in mind as PMs, maybe building a product that that doesn't succeed in its initial iterations, learning from that, and then going off and applying that to the next version, so on and so forth. It feels like, you know, every one of these drivers try to do the same thing, or every one of these teams, they take every opportunity between races to learn, and even in between, within, within a race weekend, in between um, uh, free practice as well as qualifying and then getting to the race itself. There's always, always this, um, this, this iteration and this fine tuning that happens. And so if you think about that, that tenacity, um, aside from, from this, this mental fortitude, being tenacious, as well as, uh, making sure that you focus on your own performance rather than your opponents, what else would you say, Inga that we've observed so far in these last eight races from these wonderful drivers that really mirror winning qualities of a PM. Yeah. As you were talking, I was really thinking about uh, AB testing and like Mm. every race is like a live AB test, right? (laughs) And you put your best foot forward and you put your best configuration of your, you know, all, all the mechanisms in a car and the, driver is you know looking at all the past data and you like put your best foot forward and you see Mm -hmm. what happens um and then based on the a b test results or the race results you 
learn something. And then over many, many races, you can compound your learnings. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the winning qualities is like, can you have those learning cycles be really, really efficient so that you're always step changing from race to race or from A-B test to A-B test? Because I think it's also like in, in an environment where it is easy to test a lot, it can be tempting to A-B test everything, every mm. idea, or maybe you have three competing ideas and you're like, let's A-B test all three so we could settle the debate with data. Mm-hmm. But what you what it costs is prototyping all three, the time it takes to analyze all yep. of these tests, right? There's, there's a cost to having indecision. And so I think the balance of being opinionated and then also being able to compound your learnings over time. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, and, and especially in Formula One, indecision is not a winning quality <laughs> with, with all of the, the in the moment decisions that you have to make. And so this, I think, very focused um, um, dis- approach with data is something that mirrors the, uh, the product mindset as well, very well. And so if we think about it, we extend that to a winning product team. Formula One is such a team sport and we've seen some interesting um, happenings within each team. Inga, what did you think about that Hungarian Grand Prix with Valtteri um, and almost half the grid being, being wiped out in the beginning of that race? You you tell me about the Hungarian Grand Prix. I feel like there's that that the cascading effect, right? Because if I were to think about okay, Formula One as a team sport, but even then, like product as a landscape, and going back to us paying attention to our competition, not not really focusing on what we're supposed to be doing, and so if if you are just if you are not focused, even though let's say everybody else on your team is doing their part you as the pm or you anybody who sort of like makes the wrong sort of move by not being uh uh uh, precise or focused or um true to their particular role that they have to play there's cascading effects so in this case with 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 i mean these amazing drivers half of them gone from the race i mean that must have been frustrating frustrating for all of their teams yeah, and we're constantly reminded that this game is not, or these races are not just the dr- drivers. It's very much the car. It's the pit crew. Um, it's the decision, the strategic decisions you make, um, and then also how how you react um, when there's lots of accidents that happen. Yeah, but what about pit crews, Inga? What did you think of their performances in some of the races? Yeah, I think in the Italian Grand Prix, it was quite interesting where um, both Lewis and Max's pit crews had a slightly slower stop mm-hmm. um, in in the pit, and therefore they met on the track, um, and then the resulting crash. And so you could have, you could say that you know if if one pit crew did the two point five second proper pit stop, or if you know if both did, then they might not have met, and then they wouldn't have both been out, right? And like. Mm. It's very different to, you know, not be able to overtake someone, lose one spot. Very different to have a DNF and a major accident that I, I don't think either of, of those drivers wanted. 
Um, so I, I think it's interesting. It's like, how do you make the decision to hold your ground versus aggressively pursue and, and overtake? And how do you balance that with the risk of getting into an accident? What's really interesting too, that's been happening, um, outside of the track are all the team switches in preparation yeah. for 2022. My goodness. How do you, how do you take, how do you see that Inga with the, all the movement that's been happening? Yeah, it's exciting because clearly, you know, we're, we're getting towards the back half of the season. So a lot of people are looking towards 2022 and what the season's going to look like there. Um, my my bias, at least in in the Mercedes team, obviously want to see Lewis continue. But um, I I'm really excited for George Russell to be going to Mercedes, and I love that story because um, you know when Lewis was out with COVID last season, George was was the reserve driver, and he really demonstrated that he could do the job and and drive a Mercedes car. And I think it's there's a lot of corollary to you know, being a PM, right? So sometimes as a PM, the scope or the problem space that you're staffed on or on a specific project happens to have a lot of visibility or be really key uh, to, to the company. And in those moments, can you shine? Maybe you won't get something like this in, in you know, another quarter or two. And so um, I think that was a, a, a lot of corollary to, to George Russell's journey. Yeah, and even though I'm I'm very sad to see Valtteri leaving Mercedes, I'm also very excited about him going to Alfa Romeo. Because if you think of the team spirit or the the partnership that Lewis and Valtteri have had, Lewis being sort of the um, being driver number one and Valtteri being driver number two, I think what's what's great about this is that now Valtteri is going to Alfa Romeo as driver number one. And so if you if you think about that from a product career standpoint, it's you know something that I recently experienced with my team, one of my senior people uh, getting ready to take that next step in her career. So going to another company and this time as the head of product. And so this is sort of like, when do you want to make the move? If you think about your career, when do you go from this sort of large um established company like a Mercedes team to an earlier stage or maybe not as as big of a team but yet you get to step up and um, have broader scope broader responsibilities so going to say an earlier stage startup as a head of product or in this case Valtteri going to Alfa Romeo as driver number one it yeah. really is one of those um, next leveling uh, in your career yeah and and that's why I think you know, it might be counterintuitive to say that you'd want to be on any team besides Mercedes, right? Because arguably they have they have the best car, or maybe Red Bull has the best car, one of those teams. But it's also very much like the the experience of yeah. I think Valtteri has been number two to Lewis for so long, and like not been able to to crack that. And so a, a change in environment uh, might be just just what he needs, right? Um, and I think another great example this season is I think Daniel Ricardo 
hasn't really found his groove with McLaren, at least in the mm. first half of the season. Uh, but something something in him changed in Monza, and I, I still haven't figured out what that is. But um, <laughs> he he definitely t- picked up the pace. And, and people were interviewing him after the race, and they were like, well, you know, what, what was different? And he's like, you know, people think I was sandbagging it, but no, I wasn't. I, I just needed time to, to get back into it, so... It could very well be. Uh, it's like when you start a new a new um, role at another company, right? You need time to ramp up. You need time to acclimate, and then you're able to start shipping and showing what you can do. And so perhaps Daniel Ricardo just needed a little bit of that. Um, uh, you know, once uh, he joined McLaren, just a little bit of time. And now we're seeing him hit his stride. Yeah, um, and now that Monza. he has one one major win, you know, yeah, hopefully that yeah. that momentum continues. Yeah, but I mean, how do you think about like career and moving companies and you know continuing your career growth, Inga? Yeah, one of the things that I have thought about um, from managing PMs is that it's really important to have PM product fit. So Mm -hmm. are you working on a problem space that best fits about what you enjoy about PM, um, what you enjoy working on and thinking about every single day? Um, Because I've seen people, you know, staffed on a product that they aren't a good fit for, right? So like, divides could be like consumer versus enterprise or something Mm -hmm. that's very like growth and metrics driven versus something that is very zero to one design intuition um, or, you know, consumer facing or internal facing or zero to one or one to N or, you know, iterating. And I've, I've seen plenty of examples where like someone who um, really enjoys sort of zero to one is very uninspired by like an existing product iterating on top of that, getting it to scale and vice versa. So I think it's so important, similar to how people talk about founder market fit, right? Mm, When you talk about like startups, it's like, you know, is, is this the problem that you just must build a company around? Because you think about it so much, you feel like you have a, a differentiated insight into it. And I think we should choose the problems that we work on as product people in a very similar way. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I would imagine that team principals, teams, and I mean, drivers thinking about this very similarly, right? Like, at what point do you start moving? Sure, you certainly have um, contracts and contract renewals, but how do you keep your your chops up? How do you stay competitive? Where do you go so that you, you feel challenged and you can best contribute your strengths where you can learn, where you can level up? And so I think there's a lot of similarities there. And I'm really looking forward to seeing all of the changes, all the drivers going to their different teams, how they're, how they're changing and leveling up in many ways uh, in 2022. And then lastly, you know, we're, we're, we're going to lose a very, very seasoned driver after this season. Kimmy is retiring. My goodness. And, you know, it makes me think about after formula one, what, what are his plans? Similarly, after you've hit sort of your, your mark or you've made your mark in product, what does life after product look like? And this is always something that um, I know I've talked to, 
other other product leaders about and i think it varies it's either you know broadening their their scope whether it's moving into either a coo or ceo role or starting their own company um so very interesting and uh keeping an eye on what kimmy is going to be doing after retirement yeah very very interested to follow uh what kimmy does he was such a character uh, relative to all the other drivers, he was, you know, one, one of the old ones, um, yes. and and you know, never takes anything too seriously, which which I admire. Um, yeah, and I think the the whole life after product uh, topic is so interesting. I think one of the more recent things that I thought was interesting was Fiji Simo going to Instacart mm, as CEO, yes. yeah. and I think it's so interesting because she's bringing a lot of her, you know, experience from Facebook and how Facebook is an ad-driven model to Instacart, which is like how they're going to take, you know, the, the company to the next level is, is through personalization and advertising. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great example of, you know, life after product for, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a product exec. Absolutely. Or even just uh, a complete switch altogether where you might leave Formula One and you go and drive for NASCAR or something. So yeah, um, like what Roman know. Grosjean is. Yes, doing, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. So I think it's still um, there's similarities. Uh, certainly, where you can still use your core competencies, your strengths, uh, but something totally different that you feel challenged. So um, we'll keep an eye out on those guys for sure. That's a wrap for episode four of Product Lessons from the F1 Grid. We're Andrea and Inga, your co-hosts, and we are casual yet passionate fans of Formula One, and we're also super passionate about product. Yeah, and we think there are so many lessons for us to learn from F1 racing in addition to, you know, having tons of fun watching it. So that's why we started this podcast. So if you listen to this podcast, would love if you could just let us know what you think. Uh, Our Twitter handle is F1 product and hope you tune into our next episode.